Welcome to the Tom Dupree Show. This week, Missy Clifton is sitting in again. And to my understanding, they're going to be talking about some... When does she not sit in? Well, we might give her the we day off one of these her. days. Yeah. The hook. <laughs> the hook. This is supposed to be the Tom Dupree Show. That's why your name is mentioned first. But there are the quite miss, a, the, there are quite the a Missy few, Clifton show yeah. with Tom. You know there are quite a few others involved that make you look really good. <laughs> All right, so turn it up a little. I uh, when I was in the early stages of doing my show, maybe year five, probably 2013. One day I didn't have anything planned. And Tim Anstead was my producer, and I used to do it at the station. And I said, let's just play this Moody Blues album the whole hour, you know. And people loved it. They absolutely, I just had a CD, and we just played like seven or eight songs. And uh, then the station said, you're not supposed to do that. Because it's like, it's not a music station, you know. You're supposed to like only play two minutes or in our case, three or four, but you know, it was like a violation. So, anyway, it's just a funny memory. I think I remember the first Moody Blues album I bought would have been around 1971. I bought most every album I still talk about in about an 18 month period. Maybe that was lots months. of grass mowing. I don't think I bought anything. Until about 1970, because here's what happened. I went to Camp Mondamon, and I had Bill Brody. That might have been 71 To also. He was my counselor. He'd just come back from Vietnam. He had all the best albums of the day. And we would play them. And I went back and bought them all. I mowed a hell of a lot of lawns. All right. Anyway. Psalm 63. Now, this is the New Living Translation, which is a translation of the Bible that uh, we use in this Bible study I go to. Uh, Mike Warner leads it. It's really, uh, it's interesting. It's a paraphrase, but it's pretty good. Psalm 63. Oh, God, you are my God. I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you. In this parched and weary land where there is no water, I have seen you in your sanctuary and gazed upon your power and glory. Your unfailing love is better than life itself. How I praise you. 63, Psalm 63, verses 1 through 3. I don't know about you all, but... For me, you know, my spiritual life is really all I've got in this world. And uh, these days, I find myself awake at 3 a.m. And the only thing I can do is just, it says in Scripture, I praise you on my bed. I'll lay there, and I know I'm going to fall back to sleep. For a while in my life, I would not fall back to sleep. But... Uh, typically I do, and but I praise God because uh, I am not God, 
And therefore, I don't control the events in the world and a lot of events even in my own life. I don't control them. It's my job to be responsive, open to what he's saying. If you really read Scripture, especially the New Testament, there's two things Jesus says. You need to know me and you need to obey me. Just those two things. All the things that we do that we think are important, work, relationships, even family, they're incredibly important. But the most important things are to know Jesus and to then obey and do the things that he says to do. They're not that hard. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. But just like it says in that psalm, the only way I'm going to get to know him, because there's a lot of voices out there that are going to tell me this is the voice I need to be listening to, but it's not his voice, because his voice requires effort to hear. I have to shut my mind off. I got to go somewhere even if it's in my own house, where I'm not listening to something else and I have to listen to what he's saying to me. That is the only way I have found to work. If you've got a better solution, T. Dupree at Debris Financial, let me know. Okay. Now. I forgot to mention when we kicked off that in the second half of the hour, we're going to have Larry Roberts who's the county attorney joining us. So right. we look forward to having him. Ukraine gets invaded. And literally within a week, members of Congress were wearing these little Ukraine lapel pins. I told our congressman that should not be allowed because you are not a congressman to Ukraine. Oh, but we're showing solidarity with the people. This is our 6th District Congressman. And then they, they, he had a fundraiser, and there was another guy who was a congressman. He had one on, too. Those things, it takes a while to order them and to actually get them made, right? I mean, you know. Like maybe a month, <laughs> and, and and okay. Well, let me just. Fin- I know, I know, I know. Okay, let me just finish. Okay, <clears throat> wouldn't it take about a month? And it seemed like they were wearing them within a week and a half. It's like those T-shirts that say Super Bowl winners, and you know they have them ready yeah, for. Yeah, they got to be ready, right? Yeah, but but the problem is, if they don't win, I'm sure they have to bury them in a landfill. 40 feet deep, so nobody ever finds them. But the point is, they had these things ready. Now, just think about it. Yesterday or two days ago, they approved $40 billion by like a 357 to 57 vote in the House. 
That's right. Fifty-seven brave souls Against said no. Them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here, here we are. I, I can stay. Well, I can stay well, quiet. All right. I'm, 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 well, hold on. Go ahead. I'm going to finish. You're going to have plenty of time. In fact, you'll probably get to talk more than I do. All right. <laughs> so, and you know what my congressman said to me? We have to fight communism. Russia has not been a communist country for late 80s, early 90s. It's not a communist country, but he said we have to fight communism. Something's going on. It has nothing to do with Ukraine. Both parties are in on it. $40 billion, that's more than we would spend in Afghanistan in a year sometimes, where we left about $100 billion worth of equipment. And we're trusting our people to decide and his response to me was so gibberish and his congratulatory thing that his his uh press guy sent out you know was all this stuff about the brave people of ukraine 40 billion dollars they don't have 40 billion dollars in the whole country all right take it away yeah here we are it is may 2022 we have mass food, labor, and supply shortages. We have historic high inflation. We have got sticker price shock at the gas pumps. We have violent crime that is surging. We have, we have cities that are in turmoil, and we had 368 out of 425 of our representatives that voted to send 40 billion dollars to the ukraine that by the way we don't have it has to be printed out of thin air they got to go borrow the money there's it's the because look at the reason we're having inflation is because they've been doing this crap for years i told you it was nothing but looting our own treasury they voted to loot our own treasury I, i i i'm i'm kind of i'm kind of blown away by it all right and, and back that up uh wall street journal just uh reported today um you know, they're talking, you know, we've got the big baby formula. You know, I said this last week that every bit of chaos that we've experienced in the last two years just seems like it's been on purpose. And and we are so glad when it either fades from the news so we don't have to think about it anymore or we're giving the easy, you know, the, the solution that we're all supposed to follow. So now we have the baby formula situation, um, you know, and that's, again, um, being used with this $40 billion going to Ukraine. I thought we were going to do 2,000 mules at some point. I'm going to. You've got about nine sudden, minutes. It's the baby formula shortage. You've got a, a manufacturer that makes 50% of the baby formula that has been shut down because of tainted stuff, and now they're freaking out. But guess where, guess where they're not having a baby formula shortage? At our border. Stocked full for all. I, I, was, listening to, I was listening to a funny interview today talking about the – that our, our, in, our immigration processing places have become more like travel centers. So I just thought that was interesting. Unbelievable. It is, it is unbelievable. All right, back to the May 22. We're, you know, we were talking about what, what else is going on for May 22, and you said something just seems to be, um, you know, what, what's going on? There's got to be something bigger, and I, I have no idea what that is. Um, for me, um, I know we don't want to talk about it as much anymore, but I, I still am all about the Pfizer document drop, which just happened again in May. So I'll put that to the side. The one thing I did want to talk about was, I'm not sure if our listening audience is even aware of this movie, but 2,000 Mules. I, anybody 
Anybody? Yeah, you sent me a copy of it. Yep. So you got, um, basically, you've got Dinesh D'Souza, who was working with a group called Truth the Vote. True the Vote. True the Vote, which released a movie, um, again, called 2,000 Mules. They were able to bypass all the cultural gatekeepers of our society today. They didn't go, they had limited showings in movie theaters, and then they did an online um, where you registered kind of a pay-to-play on May 7th. Right. Um, and they, ra- they it actually grossed over a million dollars just by one show. What's showing. it about? What's it about? All right. Well, in, ba- in fact, uh, since it's been shown, I'll get to the point of it, other European countries are using it as newsworthy. So just put that aside. All right. Basically, they brought together the evidence of election fraud uh, in, in 2020. And, and it, it is all, it, it exposes kind of an orchestrated movement of paying mules, people who took ballots, multiple ballots, over and over and over again to, to ballot boxes in key cities across the but country. But that cannot have happened, Missy, because this was the most secure election right, right. in the history of elections that we've had. Right. I mean, well, it, the the media has all said it was secure, and most of the Republicans have admitted that we lost. And so when when they were trying to prove that the election was stolen, focusing on the electronic voting machines, that's where the evidence just didn't materialize. But where the evidence did materialize is in geo-tracking cell phone numbers. They have the phone numbers of people and the locations, the 501c3s, the nonprofit organizations that are also a part of this, that had donors that were part of this. So we're talking about physical ballots that got dropped physical into... Physical ballots. We, they have... Filled out paper ballots that get dropped in drop boxes. They have over 4 million minutes of surveillance video across the country of people repeatedly going night after night after night, trip by trip, dropping off multiple, on average, five ballots a, a piece at, at a time. To make, not make it look like it was... Uh, exactly. So that, so that basically to, you know, this, this geospatial data... And this happened in about, what, four or five counties uh, in the whole country? It, 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 they were all in key critical areas that were, um, but but not in the state itself, but typically in a large metropolitan a large area metropolitan. that could carry the whole state. Atlanta, Atlanta, Phil, uh, in Pennsylvania, Georgia um, were were two of the hot the, the the big the cities that they were focusing on. Okay, but but it was typically the drop boxes were not in rural areas. They were in they were always in metropolitan. They were always areas. in metropolitan. And so the mules were centering on May they figured out which cities if they could tip them, it could tip the whole state, correct? And, correct. So and these people this wasn't like during the day. These people are doing it at 2 and 3 a.m. in the morning. Uh, you know, and and oh by the way, so they started out by tracking their cell phone and then they see if there's any security camera footage and they pulled that in that's correct exactly so and they so they use that is and, this proof completely incontrovertible it it is incontrovertible based on the fact that they can say so so let, well let's back up all right finish it, that this, state, based on what fact based on the fact that it's it's on that cell phone data so so if, okay. if, if maybe if you're carrying my cell phone it's saying it's saying that you know that i'm there not it's it's really you so it's a cell phone tracking thing and that somebody in government high up said that this is highly accurate 
Not only was it in 2018. I think that someone was John Roberts. 2018, John Roberts said that it was it was completely uh, permissible and it was it was as good as you can get. Okay, so and by the way, the, the January six people were. This is how they were identified. So if, if they can't be identified by if, if you can't yeah. look at the 2000 mules. So the you AP film that tries to debunk 2000 mules basically says that that's not accurate but john roberts and the prosecutors of the january 6 people say that it is right and it's because it's real normal to have uh, all this as i said four million minutes of surveillance video and it's real normal to have people taking selfies with fistfuls of ballots in front of the drop boxes because that's how they got paid because they had to prove that they put the ballots in the box are you kidding me no i'm dead serious dead serious Okay, so this happened in, I mean, what I'd heard, it was maybe only five or six major counties that could swing all these, uh, all these votes. Is, is that true? It, it was in the key areas that, that they were having, you know, like Stacey Abrams would be as one of the big so, ones. So there would typically be a state that the rural areas would go for Trump, but it was enough in the in the metropolitan area to swing the whole state for Biden. That's exactly what happened in Atlanta. That's exactly right. You got it. And it it happened also in Pennsylvania because we know that we heard they were doing the same thing in Philadelphia. It seems like it happened in Arizona. It almost certainly happened in Michigan and Wisconsin from what I heard. So these things, the evidence in the movie 2000 mules basically shows you that if the cell phone tracking thing can be relied upon that there were a lot of people going to these drop boxes for a long damn damn time that's right if geosynchronosis cell phone location data and cctv footage is good enough to convict january 6 participants it is good enough to convict the 2000 so how does one download a a copy of of 2000 mules Uh, i can we can put it on our link Okay. We'll, we'll, you mean we'll on our website yeah. at prefinancial.com under the blog and radio tab. Okay, cool. Yep. It is highly worth watching for sure. And that will be um, in addition to our regular post of the podcast after the broadcast airs so, uh, on let WLAP. Me just, as an aside, I will say that during the election, I knew something was wrong. What? I was, hold on, I was running ads that said these are the websites to go to and i had a guy who i know accused me of sedition he said the fact that you're doing this is seditious that's a that is a crime against the state that's similar to treason that in some cases could be uh, convicted with the death penalty that's what somebody told me by trying to make this information available to people so i was in this war real time as it was happening and you know that's well, what happened well and, and please uh you you have to understand that um you know the so-called fact checkers are out in force attempting to debunk the claims of this movie you've got uh politifact and associated press are both um mostly prominent in Hitting doing it this. hard well <laughs> and the other thing is they went to the top republicans with the uh, with the evidence, and they did nothing. Well, one said that, that they were, were wearing gloves while they're stuffing the ballots in there because it was cold. It was like 80 degrees that night, and they have plastic surgical gloves on. All right, we got to go. You're listening to the Tom Dupree Show. Stay tuned to hear Larry Roberts, who's our Fayette County attorney. He'll be joining us next segment. We appreciate you listening. We'll be right back.
Keep a fire burning in your eye And pay attention to the open sky You never know what will be coming down I don't remember losing track of you You were always dancing in and out of you I must have thought you'd always be around Always keeping things real by playing the clown Now you're nowhere to be found Welcome back to the Tom Dupree Show. As promised, we have our Fayette County Attorney, Larry Roberts, joining us for this segment. And here's our host, Tom Dupree. So this is from the Jackson Brown album called Late for the Sky. Probably came out 73, 74, 75, somewhere in there. My friend Tom Springate calls it the best album ever made. All the songs are good. Uh, And... Our guest here says that one of the things he likes about our show is the music, so I thought I would try to please him with the music. We have Larry Roberts here. He's a native of Lexington. He uh, went to Henry Clay University of Kentucky, played tennis in the Southeastern Conference, had quite a career in tennis, must have gone to law school somewhere in there, and he has been the... uh, county attorney for Fayette County for I don't know how many years he can tell us but uh, Larry thank you for coming in to uh, be with us today well thank you I'm I hope I didn't lose any of your visitors your listeners because I was seeing the bass in there and I probably screwed it up but golly what a song that is isn't that a good song yeah Jackson Brown of course well he's just been a great musician and um, you know we grew up in a really interesting time, you know, with music and things. You're a little older than I am. I won't say how much, but... Uh, I went to school with Daniel Boone. Yeah, that's, that's what I kind of thought. <laughs> Which Daniel Boone, we're not sure, but you grew up right here in Lexington. You, When you open your mouth, I can tell you're from Lexington. You have a, a really a, a very distinct accent of people that grew up in central Kentucky which means you know the area and you know a lot of things about the area. 
you went to the local schools here. You played tennis on the local tennis courts. You know a lot of folks. Um, and just before we get into what your job is uh, as county attorney, what if we just give me a little background of the Lexington you grew up in and remember some of the people, just kind of a vignette, if you will. Well, okay. Um, I went to uh, Morton Junior High and uh, Henry Clay. I uh, was a paper boy over in the Savage Hayes area. Which paper? Herald Leader. It was okay. one morning and afternoon. Herald or like Leader? That. Which one did you do? Whichever was the morning. I don't know. That's the Herald. I guess the Herald. And I did that for two years on my bicycle. Enjoyed that. Yeah. And, you know, interestingly, I didn't know it, but uh, John Morgan of Morgan & Morgan yeah. followed me on the paper route. Is we had right? the exact same paper route. Wow! And I didn't, I didn't know him then. He's he's a little younger than I am, but uh, that was that was fun. He was in Florida for many years and ran ads, but you could hear that Kentucky twang. Yeah, when he would talk. Yeah, he didn't he, sound like somebody from Florida. Yeah, he lived in he lived here for a while and went to Christ the King and then to I think to Morton. Yeah, and then they moved. But anyway, neat man. And I was talking to him about it. So anyway, paper route. I did that, and then uh, just. Grew up here. Henry Clay, it. UK. Yeah, I went to Henry Clay. Played a lot of tennis. Tell me who helped you become good at that because that requires a type of focus that a lot of people don't have. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I was uh, – I couldn't play baseball very well, and so I went up to Woodland Park after uh, having played one game in Pony League ball for the whole season. Over here behind Morton? or well, No, it was behind where the swimming pool is in Woodland Park. Okay. And – uh I was dejected, and I went up there, and there was a man named Galen Bell, who I didn't have any idea was, but he was an old guy, and he was—he had three people, two other people on the court, and I was sitting there, kind of with my tennis shoes on and my baseball uniform. He says, "Hey, we need a fourth. Can you play?" And I said, "No." He said, "Well, come on." And so that man got me out there, starting playing tennis, and from that on, I took a lot of was lessons. Was he a tennis pro? No, he was just a gentleman who played a lot out the, at the parks okay. and uh, was a good player. But uh, he was, he had to be in his 70s at that point. And so from then on, I just I basically tried to learn tennis play tennis playing from older men, and it was yeah. really a neat way to learn. And so I got to I got to learn quickly. And uh, did but, you wear uh, Dave Perry's or what? what the, or the one that had the little blue mark on the toe, or uh, what, what kind of tennis shoe did you wear? You, they didn't have Adidas back or tree oh, torn. No, no. Or, Lord, no, we had Converse. And, Converse. Yeah, oh, yeah. So you'd go out there wearing Converse Chuck Taylors to play well, tennis. Well, probably. sure. Heck yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That's what I did. Yeah. Anything I could steal. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> to get. Yeah. But it was, I strung tennis rackets in, all through high school and college. And uh, they didn't have wood rackets or uh, metal rackets yet. No, no, no. Didn't have metal rackets till I was. Late in college. Yeah. It was all wood. So, went to law school, and here I am. Larry, um, what drew you into the work that you do? Because I think a lot of people don't know quite what a county attorney does. In fact, I would guarantee you that 89% of the people listening really have no idea exactly what the county attorney does and the fact that there's a primary coming up if you're a registered Democrat on the 17th of, uh, of, of May, which is this coming Tuesday. And there's two people in the primary. Is that correct? That's right. And if you win the primary, I don't think there's a Republican running against no. you. No. So that's it. That's uh, it. You, you'll have it. So the the question I would put to you, you know, for the benefit of those folks who don't really understand the office, talk about it, if you would. 
Okay, well, you went back to say, I guess you're starting with how did I get how did I get to that? Yeah, I did. Yeah, uh, my tennis coach at UK was um, Richard Vimont. And that's a name you know, and he grew up on. I Fonte. do know that name. He was the tennis director for in the city for a long time, and so I played under him for four years. And near the end of it, he said, "You need to be a lawyer." And I said, "Well, because you're not good enough at tennis to make a living at it." No, I'm sorry. Well, no, that's that, that's a good point. Uh, going back th- two months from that, that that conversation, I was playing Lenny Schloss, who was the best tennis player in the East or in the yeah. Southeast. He played at Tennessee, and I'm getting the living hell beat out of me. It was 6-0, <laughs> And I was down at Tennessee, and I look up on the hill, and there's Richard, the coach, talking to the coach, his coach. And, and I know Lenny really well. He, he's a good friend, and, or was a good friend a long time ago. And so I, I was beat, and I looked up at, the co- at Vimon. I said, Coach, Coach. He said, Yeah. I said, What do I do? I mean, he's supposed to be coaching me. He said, take up golf. Yelled it at me. <laughs> well, I looked Vimont at did that? He did. Oh, Lord. And I, and I looked at Lenny. He says, come on, let's play his next game. So I won the next three games. Oh, really? I, you had nothing to lose at that point. Well, I didn't. I didn't. I think he, he made it look like I won the games, but I didn't leave the 6-0, 6-0. So <laughs> we walked off arm in arm. But anyway, that uh, Richard told me. Like Bill Curry after he got fired. Remember, he started winning games. <laughs> you remember right. that? I do remember yeah, that, yeah. yeah. Anyway, go ahead. Well, so Richard said, you need to go to law school. And I, I was not a good student, never had been, and it scared me to death to think I had to go read a bunch of stuff. So, But he said, you could be a trial lawyer. And so I went to law school. And then later, when I got out, I worked with him for three years in, in private practice and then went to the company. Vimont and Wills? Well, it was Angelus and Vimont. John Angelus. Yeah. And so I was in that firm uh, for three years, and then I got to be the first uh, full-time prosecutor in Kentucky. It was a federal grant, and George Barker, who was the Commonwealth attorney, hired me. And so I did that and then got to be the county, the Commonwealth attorney. This was back in the 70s. And Richard and I, well, well while I was in the Commonwealth attorney's office, Richard, was he did some part-time work there. I didn't have much contact with him. Uh, much after, I mean, we were friends, but we didn't. His, his, he went. He's got a terrific civil practice in every area, right. and I ended up in civil practice, but still nothing to do with him. And when I took this job, that's more disputes, not criminal type. Well, stuff. civil, civil action. I mean, all kinds of th- horses. I don't think about horses. Anything. And he's he's excellent at equine law and lo- sure. in government and uh, corporate and everything. So when I got this job in 2006, I called him when I found out I was going to get the job. I said, I got to have you. I need you to run my civil division of this department because it's huge. When you got the job in 06, did you have to run for it yes. or were you appointed to it? No, I had to run for it. Okay. And I ran against Bill Sagelka. I like was, the ones that you get appointed to. <laughs> well, I don't recommend running for office. But anyway, uh, Bill Sagelka and I had a war and yeah. I won. And then I hired Vmont to come in and okay. run the civil practice. So he right. works for me now instead of me running right. the stairs at, at the, oh, the Coliseum. You just think he works for you. Oh, he does. He does. I, but he ran my butt off for years up and down the stairs at Coliseum. Now I'm working him to death. Larry, let me ask you a question. Um, in the context of – go ahead. You had something to say. No, I'm just – you were going to talk about okay. what, the, what we do. Yeah, that's the question. Sure. In the context of what you're doing, talk about the mechanics of it, of exactly how the whole – department works okay because it's not just you it's it's your whole office and you all do a lot of things well i've got 100 employees because of COVID, i only have 90 now but we'll get back to 100 soon if i can stay in office but anyway it's a huge department it's like running a super walmart 24 hours literally 
So you got you got two levels of prosecutors in Kentucky. Every every county has two different levels. One is the county attorney, right. and one is the Commonwealth attorney. Now Ray Larson was the the man. He was here and he was Ray the DA. Well, he did, not, did he work for you in your office, or no. did he was he independent of you? No, he was totally independent because when he came in, he followed me in in 1985 uh, when I left the Commonwealth Attorney's Office to go into private practice. So, but and you got two levels. So the county attorney handles all of the civil, all of the criminal cases, but not the major felonies. We don't try felonies because that's the penitentiary. We try misdemeanors, which is up to the, in the county jail. That's a penalty in the county jail. And traffic and, and child support. So the Commonwealth attorney tries all the felony cases, the bad cases, rape, murder, armed robbery, whatever. Who's our Commonwealth attorney now? Luanna Redcorn. Okay. She, she, yeah. worked, she worked with for, with Ray for 21 right. years. As right. her, as a, and she's terrific. She's a great lady. Yeah. So we've got a, a major office of people doing a, a number of things that uh, people don't know, and which hurts my feelings because I feel like I'm the emperor of the world. And it, we're just a grain of sand, literally. We don't. People people don't know who we are, and so they don't even know there's an election, for instance. Well, let me say this, and this is just something I have picked up upon, because for a brief period of time, which we don't need to mention, I was county judge, and that that and a quarter will get you a piece of a cup of coffee. But uh, you were someone I was you, – you, you said, I am your attorney in this capacity, well, which you, I thought – I was, and you didn't pay me. It, I didn't pay you, and I, and but I used you, or or, or you might say abused you. Uh, but it, it, we we had some meetings. But the bottom line is, my sense was that your office was extremely well run, and that you ran it like a business. It was, um, you know, there was a sense that things were getting done in there, and uh, you know, it was just uh, it wasn't like a what one might commonly think of as a government department, it was a well-run organization. Well, thank you. Uh, and your sense was right. I mean, we tried to make that. Uh, before I came in, there was no civil division. Margaret never. Margaret Kennison was my predecessor, and, and she asked me to run for this job to follow her, and, and I did that. Uh, she, I really like her, and I, I tried lots yeah. of cases against that office, but they didn't have a civil division. If there was a civil case... Then they would point. They would. I, I used to represent them on civil cases as a, as a private lawyer, and then go against them on other cases. Well, sure, yeah. yeah. And so that's kind of the way it was. Yeah. And, and we we decided that we were going to try to make this a very important civil division because we re, the statute says I represent all of the elected county constitutional officials. Well, that's the sheriff, and she doesn't use us because she she has a law firm that she pays and can do that. Thank God, because I couldn't. We'd have to have two lawyers. She's got a lot of problems. It, not not problems. I don't mean that negatively. I know what just you're saying. civil issues that she has to deal with. Yeah, but we rep- she's probably not listening. It's seven thirty in the morning. But yeah. anyway, go ahead. Uh, we represent the coroner, the the DPA, uh, the, all the constables, the county judge, the county judge executive. Yeah, and so there's. Many, many issues. I'll give you the best example. It, timely, it was important when Vemont came on because that's when we had the horrific plane crash in Fayette County. Right. That year. At the, I mean, immediately in August. And so Did he, all those cases come through your uh, division? I mean, where they began to finally begin to file motions against the uh, airline and that sort of thing? No, no. They come. It, it involved us only with regard to the coroner. The coroner had to handle all the bodies. Oh, my gosh. And that's Gary Ginn. And he didn't have a lawyer. I mean, he couldn't possibly. Have. There were thousands of situations that 
that took in place from people from other countries and and so we had how does a coroner deal with a mass death situation like that knowing that his office is typically staffed with maybe three or four people max it was magnificent he he really worked hard i mean it was a real effort and but if we hadn't had who was that coroner gary again yeah and if if we hadn't been there he'd probably be in the insane asylum really because i mean there's unbelievable efforts things that had to go on that dick vimont took over so um that's so in, in the event let's say child support um how does that work? How, how, what's the uh, mechanics of how that works out okay. through your office? Well, a person who is in a divorce and the judge goes through and the, the, you know, the wife gets the kids and the daddy pays, well, he's got to pay child support. That's one way. Another way is a guy has kids. He could have one child or five, child, five children from five different mothers. So you do a DNA test. And the mother wants wants money to feed the child and rent, so they go through our court to do the DNA testing, and so we've got all the combined court issues. You have to have proved paternity at this point. Yes, you can't bring it to you, and if we don't know he's the father, well, they bring it to me, and I and I'm the one who runs and the program. You do that. Yeah, we've got fifty people who do this. So he's trying to say no, it's not my kid. Sometimes, or, and, yeah. and and is is shocked. He might be in prison, and all yeah. of a sudden he gets a notice he's got a child or three. So. So we go through that, and we try to find who he is and if it's for. And then we got to say, well, okay, how can we get this guy to pay money? And so sometimes they are willing to pay, and sometimes it's a wonderful fairy tale story that they have these children and they bond. But most, most cases, 99% of them are very, very awful from the standpoint that you, you get the termination. Everybody wants to – well, not everybody. There's a common phrase or a person called a deadbeat dad. Yeah. And everybody's heard that word. I don't use that word. Uh, I don't believe in it because I, I really don't because I don't think anybody's a deadbeat person if you figure out what's going on there. Right. And if you, can reunite, if you can reunite that dad with that child and get mama to quit screaming at him and cussing him out because he's not paying and so she's mad. But if you can stop that problem and get them together, now you've got a father with a daughter. And a, and, a, and a son. And that's a healthy thing. Now, that's that's Pollyanna thinking. Do you know what a great thing you just said? And that's something that we don't always think that we're going to hear from a government official, somebody who's not so much interested in advancing his or her own agenda, but is legitimately trying to do some good. I like that. Well, thank you. I, that's what I do. Um, let me give you an example of that. The only the only way you collect child support, I mean, you don't. It's not goody two shoes stuff. And oh, well, you want to pay? Well, yeah, you don't. But you got guys who don't work. He's the he's the non custodial father, and it may be alcohol. It might be it might be other women, whatever. But he's not working. And so what we've done is we created a program in Lexington with Bruce Bell, who is our district our district judge. Went to Henry Clay with him, and. The program is basically set up like this because the only thing we can do is is force somebody into jail or punish them if they don't pay. That's the only. It's thing. like debtors' prison in England. They outlawed yeah. it years ago. Okay, so if a guy's not supporting his child and the mother is just irate and he's twenty six thousand dollars in arrear, then she wants to bury him. Okay, so if we send him to the penitentiary for five years, he okay, he's not paying anything. That's going to be sixty thousand in arrears. It is. Yeah, and he, and he has to pay it. He has to pay it not only to her but to the state because the state. Is paying the paying for it. so Bruce and I got together and devised a court, which is called the Child Specialty Court, and we charge a fellow with with flagrant non-support, 
and we've done about, oh, 120 people so far, roughly. And that person now is charged with a felony. And we give him an option. You want to go? It, we started back when Ray was the DA, and everybody, of course, you don't want to go see Ray. And so we said, you going to meet Ray Larson with this felony, or you want to stay down with here with me? And here's what's going to happen down here. We're going to amend your charge to a misdemeanor. And we're going to put you in a course, basically a program called like, like drug court. But you're going to meet Judge Bell. And every week, you're going to come to, before Judge Bell, and you're going to, it's like probation. But you're going to get a job. We're going to give you, a, we're going to get you a job. And if you don't want to work, then you're going to have a problem with Judge Bell. But if you do start working, then you're going to start paying your child support, little bits at a time. If you, Larry, we got about a minute and fifteen seconds. Okay. So, if you want me to stop, well, you let's, go. Let's, you go. let's tell people. Obviously, you've done some very creative things. Let's talk a little bit about this race. And if you're a registered Democrat, if you're interested in seeing Larry Roberts continue doing his job for some more time. You need to show up and vote and talk just briefly about it. we got about 35, 40 seconds. I'd rather talk about child support. Okay, go okay. for it. So the program is, at the end of the tunnel. I gave you your shot. That's all right. At the end of the tunnel in child support, especially court, if the guy is working and paying his, paying, starting to pay, and he's, he's got his job going, which we know, then we expunge the record at the end of the tunnel. That's great. Yeah, it is. And we've collected $600,000 from 80 people. In a very short period of time. If I had every judge in town doing this, we'd be talking several million dollars. So it's a terrific program. But thanks for the segue into the election, but this is more important to me right now. That's fine, but it's, it's, if you're going to keep doing it, it's also important to get elected. I hope they, you like, they, I know, hope, they know the name. They know he's running for and I hope county you like attorney. Jackson Brown. And that's going to close out this hour. We'll be back in just a few minutes with our financial guys for the second hour. Stay tuned. We'll Thank be you, back Larry. in just Thanks a few for minutes. Being with us. Thanks, Larry. Thank you.